Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm your co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. When somebody tells me I can't do it, I want to kind of prove them wrong. And I kind of took that with me and like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to make 30 and I'm going to be thriving by the time I get to 30. But he very much saved my life. Also think of it this way. I don't have any control over the pain of my medical condition. Whereas with running, I get to choose that pain. I get to choose how hard I can push. I can make it hurt how much I want to. And that's kind of powerful to me. Mileage is extreme. My coach always said, mileage matters. You, like, if you, you can't run marathon if you don't have mileage. Your legs won't have, be able to handle that last 10 kilometer. Um, because it is massive. It's, mm. it's massive in terms of recovery. It's massive in terms of your performance on the day. It's matches in terms of your health and longevity in the sport. Nicola! Davide! How are you doing? I'm doing well, bro. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling quite tired. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I, tr- I tried to set Davy up on a super block this week. <laughs> it only lasted one uh, quarter of the block. No, you were, <laughs> he, he, Nick went hiking <laughs> and lost signal. And on Tuesday morning, I got a ping on WhatsApp <laughs> with my plan. And I was already running. So I was taking some tips from Annie, guys. Yeah. Uh, she <laughs> says that some of those Kenyans only found out the morning of what that run is going to be. I was trying to apply the same principle to Davy. And speaking of Annie, she is our guest for today's episode. Uh, Annie has been quite a big inspiration to me. Um, I've recently had my eyes opened to the topic of nutrition. Previously, I've just been a one goo wonder runner. Um, I just go throughout a marathon distance and, and, and see what happens on the day, but no more. Now I carb load. I take 20 grams yeah, he's of a new carbs. Runner. He's a new runner. He's um, a source of knowledge. Every in the 20 minutes community. kind of thing. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, Annie's been, been really great for me and uh, I think she's going to be great for everybody else listening. Yeah, well, you guys will recognize Annie from episode three, I think, of uh, the Total Sports Two Oceans special series, where she talks about ultramarathon nutrition. She does have a master's in nutrition. That is why we brought her on. But she is also an elite level athlete with a truly inspiring story. One that really will raise Davy's goosebumps more than Ooh. once. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a story of never giving up despite all the setbacks that life throws at you. And guys, we're happy to report that it really comes with a, a nice <laughs> icing on the cake. It will come, it will come. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry if you're listening to this. Um, at the moment, I can't give you a happy story, but it's not done yet. <laughs> so at the time of recording, Annie was not the SA Marathon champ yet. But now she is the winner. She won. Winner, she won Durban winner. International Marathon. Three with days, a time of? Two hours, 30 minutes dead almost she was 16 minutes ahead of me yeah. put, put that into a distance i think she must have been and three six nine twelve uh, five kilometers yeah ahead and of i me, mean right? it was a tough day out it was yeah. a tough day out and if you've seen any videos of annie you'll see that you know uh, conditions did affect her on the day but she comes with a, an 
incredible story, guys. It's honestly one of those. And, that you, and you know what I can say is, what a well-deserved win. Like wow. if if we if we've spoken to we've spoken to a lot of people, and I can honestly say that she deserved that win. She yeah. really did. The amount of work she's been putting in over the past, I don't know how many years, and she's just as you'll hear, gone you know through quite a rough time, and she, and she needed the win. She got the win, and we are so proud of her. She's also just a real student of the sport. You know, she's a truly passionate runner who loves everything about running loves everything that running has made her and you know it's it's one of those stories that you only hear here and there and we're so excited to be able to break it to you but you also are welcome to go find the story on her own personal blog she does write a much more detailed version of what we're actually able to cover today and another thing that we do cover today which i found quite interesting we chat a little bit about her experiences of training in kenya and why i found it interesting davies because i know me and you definitely want to go and do one of those one day mm. uh, but it's also you hear a lot of mixed uh, mixed stories coming out of there you know what you see on the internet is not quite what happens on the ground i want to go to the five stars <laughs> she, she she went and she she did it proper yeah she did the hard stuff guys but the hard stuff makes you strong that's for sure that's what you'll hear today but nevertheless here it is elite level athlete nutritional expert annie bortmer if you love the work we are doing and the impact that making a runner has had on the running community so far then why not become an official making a runner fan that's right guys making the runner is now on patreon Although this started purely as a passion project, we have had to become realistic about the time and cost of running a successful podcast. And that is why we've decided to set up a Patreon membership where our fans can make a pledge to support our work and help us further expand our reach into the greater global running community. If you're not in a position to commit to something like this, that's okay. We appreciate each and every listen and owe all our success to you. But if you want to make a pledge and become a super fan of the show, make sure to go and visit patreon.com forward slash making a runner. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the rest of the show. Annie, thank you so much for taking the time today to be with us. You guys will recognize Annie's voice. Uh, it is not the first time she is on the podcast. She was in episode three of the Total Sports Two Oceans special edition. And, and that was a particularly short, precise conversation around about the nutrition element. Today, we, we have her in studio with us and we, we're quite excited to get to chat to her a little bit more, get to talk to her about her background, where she's come from, where she's going. And we're super, super excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so let's, let's start off right off the bat. Annie, you, you haven't had an easy uh, time of it coming to this point in your running career. Can you just let our listeners understand sort of the conditions that you struggled with along the way as a child growing up and to the point that where you're at right now? I know that's a whole conversation on its own, but just, just a little touch point there. How much time do we have? Let's go. We got the whole day. <laughs> okay. So it, yeah, it started way back uh, when I was six years old, actually, is where they believed my real problems started. Um, I got scarlet fever as a six-year-old girl, and um, I was hospitalized and placed in the ICU for about a week. Um, the bacteria burst in my body and I became toxic. I had a fever of over 43 degrees and... This is where they believe my brain got damaged and more particularly my pituitary gland. Sure. Um, so after that, I, I went from being like um, the little girl that always ran everywhere and was always skipping and 
happy and smiling to constantly calling home from school and saying, I don't feel well. Um, I went from, yeah, being this happy child to kind of like always feeling sick. And then at 11, it kind of got to a peak and I, I stopped growing and I called home even more from school. Throughout my whole, I mean, primary and high school, I was in and out of hospitals trying to find like the root cause to what was going on. Um, I was, I I started losing weight and um, for this I was uh, bullied and mocked at school. I, uh, I was judged for having an eating disorder because I was skinny. And that was very far from the truth. In fact, I didn't even know what an eating disorder was at the time as an 11-year-old girl. Um, but the label was given and it, it kind of, even to this day, mm. I still get judged because of the way I look. Yeah, I just see it like how people see you kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. Uh, they, they judge the book by its cover. They take one look at you and just simply because you're skinny, they think you're not fueling adequately. And that's not the case. I I do recognize that an eating disorder is a very serious thing. And I don't personally judge anybody that does suffer from an eating disorder because it's a very serious medical condition. Mm. And it's actually um, very psychological. It's It's somebody suffers from an eating disorder. It's not easy. But that was simply not my story. My story is different. Mm. And um, for said for the following um, couple of years, I was struggling. And eventually at the age of 17, I did a stomach biopsy and a blood test and I was diagnosed with celiac disease. And we thought, okay, this is, this is going to be life-changing and I'm going to get so much better. I changed my diet. I started cutting out gluten uh, to cook for myself and everything. But the following two years, it didn't really get much better. And although I was performing athletically, I, I was struggling so much that by my matric year, I actually went out of school. I could no longer sit through a full period without running off to the toilet. And I was, yeah, just struggling through, battling through my symptoms. We finally got to an endocrinologist uh, when I was 19 years old. And again, in ICU, they did the proper testing Uh, testing all my different hormones. I did a brain scan of my pituitary and I was finally diagnosed with hyperpituitism. Now, uh, if you were like me, uh, hearing that word, you're like, oh, what? Um, It was very much uh, unfamiliar to to both me and my parents. Um, I had no idea what it was because it's a very rare condition and not not something you hear of very often, but basically it is my pituitary gland does not produce the sufficient hormones that a normal person does. And in my case, it's, um, yeah, most of the key hormones that you need to function. Um, and when, when I got the diagnosis, my doctor looked at me and he said, I'm I've never seen a case like you before in my life and I will probably never again. And if oh. I don't, if we don't get you on medical treatment, um, you're not going to make it to 30. You'll be breaking bones before you're 30 years old. 
And that kind of, I've always been somebody that when somebody tells me I can't do it, I want to kind of prove them wrong. And I kind of took that with me and it's like, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to make 50 and I'm going to be thriving by the time I get to 50. But he very much saved my life. If it wasn't for that diagnosis and I, I wasn't able to get medical treatment, I would not be here today. And yes, that does mean um, I am kind of like being kept alive by a bunch of, yeah, bunch of medication, but I still don't think my illness defines me. For sure. And I don't think that it should. I just, I, I believe that it's important for, you know, listeners to, to get a, a clear understanding of, you know, seeing you as an individual right now, the level of performance that you're able to get, you, you almost take it for granted that this individual is a healthy individual, someone that doesn't struggle with all of these things. So the fact that, you know, you've had these issues growing up, I mean, you're talking growth hormone, you're talking estrogen, you're talking all kinds of hormones that we need to develop, not only as athletes, but as human beings. Um, so I think to get that sort of death sentence at such a young age, at an age where you still are thriving and looking forward to what, potential your body can actually get it it must have felt so it must have been such a difficult time yeah. and the fact that you were able to remain positive and and thrive essentially with your with your case scenario I mean you can only do as much as you can with what you're given in life right um, I think it just speaks so so much of you as an individual and that's why I've been super excited about this conversation ever since meeting you in Cape Town because I feel there's so much of knowledge that you can impart yes but just your outlook on life and your outlook on running and how you've turned it into your entire life it, it honestly it, it inspires us and it's something that I feel will inspire our listeners so right off of that I mean I want to start off with obviously you've always been fairly athletic you know you realize from a from a young age that you had this running ability i mean you mentioned as a young girl you were running around and you were performing well as a runner even even through all these conditions and from what i've read obviously this allowed you the opportunity to go to america to go and and pursue these dreams of becoming a runner you know so can you tell us a little bit about that because i know that there's obviously many runners in this country and I think the the American opportunity of of going there on a scholarship and being able to pursue your dreams is something that is is let's say something that a lot of these runners want to look towards getting into. But you know, having spoken to the likes of Zakiti Nene and a whole bunch of other runners that we've had on the show, it doesn't necessarily line up exactly with this this hard laugh that you know you've made that you're going to go there. It often can can be the exact opposite because you know it is known that when when these guys do go overseas, they often get overrun, overtrained, and I mean, for an individual that is suffering with hormonal issues and all kinds of other pituitary gland issues, I mean, that must have been a very concerning time as well can you highlight a little bit of how that time was for you and and the stories of what happened on, on whilst you were in america yes i can i maybe have to backtrack it a bit to how i got into running it was definitely not because i was striving for performance first i started running because i wanted to run away i wanted to run away from the pain I started running on the beach. It was three kilometers every day. I had a certain mark. And uh, when I got to that mark, I had to turn around and go back home. Um, I wanted to escape this 
the pain and struggle I was feeling from my medical illness and also, like I mentioned, the bullying and mocking I was feeling from friends and even uh, family members around me. I, I, I guess I, I soon discovered I was actually not that bad at it when um, in, I think it was grade seven, um, I, was, I was doing high jump actually because my brother was doing it. That was the only reason I was doing it. Uh, I was absolutely terrible at it. And, uh, but we would always do a little warm up and cool down before. And I would always be running way in the front. I remember um, the teacher that was doing the, the running portion said to me, maybe you should uh, kind of join the runners and like forget about the high jump for a bit. I think it was just like the polite way of saying, you really <laughs> suck at this, just try the running. <laughs> Um, so I tried it. Um, then in grade eight, I, I entered my first road 10 kilometer. Um, I'd never raced a distance before and I didn't even wear a watch that evening. And I ran 38 minutes. And that, that was... That's wild. <laughs> scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was kind of my first introduction to the sport was more like road racing. And I loved it. I loved the community. I loved the, the vibe. I loved everything about it. I definitely don't have a track background. I did one track season as a junior. Um, when I was 17 years old, I ran the Western Province 5,000 meter and was fortunate enough to go on to win the South African 5,000 after that. But aside from that, I was doing only road racing and cross country. I started with my junior coach when I was 16 years old. And that's when I really kind of started training properly and co committing to the sport. And as a 17-year-old, I made my first national team representing South Africa and Poland at the World Cross Country. Um, I won the 10, 10K on the track for the 10K on the roads for the juniors and the 5K on the track, like I said. Yeah, and that I think that is maybe what sparked some interest of overseas um, for scholarship, some of those performances. I also, as a 19-year-old, I went to uh, represent South Africa in China at the World Cross Country. I was actually the youngest in the race, and I was still racing barefoot. So um, that was quite interesting experience. And overseas, people overseas thought it was really funny that I ran barefoot and kind of um, compared me to Zola Butt a lot. <laughs> um, I guess in South Africa, it's more common for our kids to run barefoot, but overseas, they think it's pretty funny. Yeah, so my first um, recruitment came from, I had four offers actually, um, but the, the one I ended up going with was Boise State. And I, I went over in the August of 2015, right after I received my diagnosis. We did tell them about my diagnosis and they said nothing changes. They still want me to come. Um, they still believe I can be a good asset to the team. Um, but unfortunately, after I got there, they, their minds changed. Um, they realized how serious my medical condition was, and I was not medically cleared to race for the team yet. So um, the coaches had me run uh, the pre-race workout, and I ran some pretty fast times. And they said, no, no, they have to race me on Friday. Um, I raced a really big cross-country meet called Roy Griak, and I was third on that day and the following week I got hit by a truck <laughs> it's, that's, it's just I mean it's just like it doesn't stop for you hey it doesn't stop hey like you can't catch a break <laughs> um yeah it's one of those big pickup trucks you get in America 
um, not like a truck like we typically call in South Africa. Like a bucky, like a yeah, big bucky. Yeah, a bucky. Yes, that's <laughs> the word I was looking for. So I was out for a whole year of competition and I ended up being medically disqualified at Boise State and being forced to either come home and let go of my scholarship and also my studies or I had the option to transfer and see if somebody else would take a shot on me. But, I mean, through that time, you, you were in a foreign country, alone, minimal support. You had a university that wasn't essentially backing you because of your medical condition. You must have felt super, super low. Yes, that's why I got a, got a service dog. <laughs> I got a dog. <laughs> uh, dogs are great. Um, I, uh, it was a very ch- challenging time. Also in Boise, it is, was like the, the weather is quite harsh. You have sure. these icy, snowy winters where it's really, um, it gets really dark really early. And then you in the, s- the springtime, it's really windy and also still cold. And summers are brutally hot. The only time it's really nice is fall time. So it was... It was an incredibly lonely time and that's why I transferred and also why I chose Coastal Carolina because um, Zola Bud was the main coach and or the, oh. the assistant coach and there was a few other South African runners running at that university and it seemed that it would be a place where I would at least have people um, from my own country and people who I can... Um, resonate more with and um, be part of a team and people that would support me. Well, you, you certainly proved yourself at this new university, is that so? Yes, athletically-wise, the few um, seasons that I did compete for Coastal, I was very fortunate to win five conference titles and two regional titles in the 10,000 meter and in cross-country. And then I was also All-American in the 10,000 meter for, for South Africans, what does that mean? What does it mean being an yeah. All-American? Okay, being an All-American means um, being like a, a certain amount of positions in that specific event. It is different for, I think it's uh, for the different events, but that means I competed at the national championships in that event. Winning regionals means you win. You, there's different regions in America, like so... It's the West region and the East mm. region. I won the East region 10,000 meter um, conference. There's different conferences that compete against each other. I won two indoor 5,000 meter titles, one outdoor 10,000 meter title, and then also a cross country uh, conference title. Um, that was over the three seasons I competed for sure. Coastal. You, you uh, mentioned before that you didn't like track and track training, but I. I'm looking at 5K, 10K, winning this, winning that. Like, how are you training for these events? Um, as a junior, I did not do any track um, training at all. Uh, my coach at the time, the only workouts I would do would be uh, like tempo runs. And I had a long run weekly. And then we would do a run where I had like a pickup in the middle, just, just like pick up the pace for one kilometer. I did not do any hill repetitions. I did not do fart leg. I did not do track repetitions. If I did, I think there's one, so like a twice I can count on my own hand that the times we did it. It was, yeah, I think more of like a way to protect, protect me mm-hmm. when I was young and with my medical condition, they didn't really want me to train that hard. Um, so when I got to America, um, racing on the track was really hard for me because the big thing is after that car accident, 
I never ran more than three months without stopping. I was mainly struggling with my back. I would run for like two, three months and then have to stop again and rest for two, three months and then restart again. And that was for the whole duration I was at Coastal. I only had, yeah, those two, three seasons that I competed for them. Yeah, look, I think for for you, someone like you that has all of these medical conditions to take into account when it comes to building the right training program. Obviously, training is a massive stress. And if we're now adding a lot of track work or high-intensity work, uh, you, you're burning the candle at both ends. So I guess as a, as a coach and as an individual, you want to still get, it, get someone progressing without putting that much load on them. And I mean, at the end of the day, you're doing what you're having to do in order to, to get to these goals and and be able to achieve them and the fact that you were able to do that with the minimal speed work and track work uh, it just speaks again of how resilient you were at the time but also of what an exceptional talent you do have because i mean you you got to be you got to be gifted with that talent is there any family history of of running in your in in your near family no not really my dad ran a bit i think he ran two marathons but um no and sure. I actually don't like the word talent. <laughs> I think um, potential is better. <laughs> I had the potential and I, I turned it into something. Because the thing is, running, running actually feels pretty easy compared to what I had to go through medically. It doesn't compare to the pain that and the struggle I have to face on a daily basis for my medical condition. So running is actually the easiest part of my day. So, like, I mean... Also, think of it this way. I don't have any control over the pain of my medical condition. Whereas with running, I get to choose that pain. I get to choose how hard I can push. I can make it hurt how much I want to. And that's kind of powerful to me. Because so often my medical condition have left me completely defeated and demoralized. Like I feel like I'm broken. Like because it's... It's relentless. I don't know when my symptoms are going to be as well. And it can happen on race day. Mm. And then that may, might mean a DNS or a DNF. And it looks really bad. And I have no control over it. Is there still an element of you running away from your condition? No, I don't think so. Not anymore. Um, now I'm running to overcome it. I'm running to beat it. I feel I... When I was a junior, so much of it was still unknown and foreign and I didn't understand it now um, after studying and being qualified and doing a lot of me search I feel more equipped to manage it and this I'm still learning a lot but I've learned a lot about my own body and how to manage this thing and that is what it will be always will be I will always have to manage it I will never be healthy mm. yeah I, I just I also wanted to ask um, you, you mentioned so your medication Right, so you, you're you're constantly taking medication. Do you mind me asking what medication that you're taking at the moment? Yes. So there's a few injections I have to do daily, and um, tropical creams, and then I also have to take um, oral medication at every single meal. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming we'll get to that. But after the hyperpituitism, I ended up getting another diagnosis mm. that was linked to the hyperpituitism that I also now have to manage um, and which is something that was only diagnosed really later because of the embarrassing factor to it. So it was something I did not tell the doctors. 
it was something I did not feel comfortable enough talking about um, because all we have to do is a quick Google search to find out how embarrassing yeah. it, it truly is. And I mean, with all this medication that you take and obviously you being a professional athlete, does it ever come up with um, testing or is, is there, are there any issues there? No, because my levels are still below normal, even though supplementing. And I do have a two document, which is um, stating that I need this to, to survive, basically. Mm. Crazy. I think that's a whole can of worms on its own. And also, you're taking into account the lifetime of the developmental years where she did not have the effects of what normal growing yeah. hormones should have. Um, yeah, I mean regardless of the hormones that you are replacing right now or that you're taking, you're never going to be able to make up for the time loss. So, I mean, yeah. No, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm very far behind my yeah. development stages. Physiologically, I'm a lot younger than I actually am. So since you mentioned that other condition, that's diabetes insipidus. Yes. Um, can we give our listeners a bit of an idea of what that is, uh, as embarrassing as it is? And obviously, this was something that, as you say, was diagnosed at a much later stage by Professor Tim Noakes. Yes. So um, in 2021, August, um, I started collapsing a lot in training. It actually started in 2020. The reason was because I was really dehydrated and I didn't really understand it or know why this was happening. And it, it kind of got to a climax where when I collapsed at the SA Half Marathon Championships in 2021. And... Um, also in in training, like I said, it was happening quite often, and we we realized we need to get outside, seek outside support. And my doctor had contact with Dr. Tim Noakes, and so I went to see him for a consultation and explained, gave all my medical history and explained my situation and my symptoms, and he diagnosed me with diabetes insipidus. I had never heard of it before. I, I've only heard of diabetes mellitus, yeah. um, type one and type two. Uh, where it's very much a case of either your body, um, you're insulin resistant or your body is not producing insulin in type 1. Um, with me, it has nothing to do with my insulin, my sugar, my pituitary gland. So it's I have cranial diabetes insipidus. So one of the hormones that's also produced by your pituitary gland is antidiuretic hormone, and that regulates your fluid balance mine does not produce enough of that. So that means I always know where the bathroom is. <laughs> I, um, That's a good thing to know as a runner. Though. Yeah, it's a good thing to know. Um, and, you know, it's, it also means I'm starting my day every single day in a huge deficit because I get up multiple times a night and then I already start my training dehydrated and that's why I was collapsing um, because – your your body de dehydration two to three percent of body weight fluid losses affects your performance and mm. more than that you, you you can get serious health conditions because or health problems because it's it you need it for blood flow you, your cardiac output will be higher you will burn faster through your glycogen stores so it's a massive thing so figuring that out the last year and a half has been crucial for me because, you know, it's, it was so tough, especially during the marathon at the end, managing that, like my first marathon, I was completely delirious afterwards because I was so dehydrated and I had no idea what was going on. 
But there were other issues at that first marathon that uh, could have led to that, isn't that? There was definitely um, <laughs> other issues as well, uh, both from a training and a fueling carbohydrate perspective. So you mentioned a bit about the, your, your studies, so, and we, we obviously spoke about how you went to America for studies and only actually spoke about the running side of it. So what have you studied? And uh, obviously, how, does that, how has the knowledge behind those, those subject matters actually helped you in this case? Okay, so while I was studying in America, I studied exercise science, um, but towards the end of my time in America, I also started doing my a personal training certification through the International Sports Science Association, and that ended up being um, six certifications I did to be qualified as a master personal trainer. It's, yeah, you can kind of specialize as well in the areas that you want to specialize in. And I cho chose um, sport nutrition and kids development and uh, senior fitness, youth fitness and group training. So, and corrective exercise. Those were all like the six certifications I did. And when I got back to South Africa, I actually started working as a personal trainer. I first started at Virgin Active and then I kind of opened up my own business called Fired Fitness at the time. And I was um, also starting to coach runners on mm. the side online while working as a personal trainer. But I was very unhappy. Uh, the personal training industry was just not for me. It's, yeah, I, I don't really feel motivated to train people solely for weight loss or just fitness. I was very much, my passion lied in the running and that's where I wanted to go into. And also at the same time, my passion grew more towards nutrition specifically. And after I made my debut at the Cape Town Marathon in 2019, I, I became increasingly interested do believe that that's the biggest reason why my first uh, my my debut marathon went so terribly wrong. Well, tell us a little bit about that because I mean, let's start off with with the time for your debut marathon. It was it was quite a fast time for a debutante, isn't it? I don't believe so. I well, think tell tell us. I think, I think it's faster than Davy's PB. Let's go. <laughs> so I ran, yeah, I ran two forty one at Cape Town, and I was I was the first South African that day. Um, I finished tenth overall. Um, that is quicker than my PB. Yeah, that, that is quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but not considering I was on a two thirty five pace up until thirty or thirty two kilometers. So that last ten. 12 kilometers was pretty much a death march. I found out what they talk about when you say you hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah, I've told the story and podcast we had for the yeah. two ocean series. I only got in one gel in that whole marathon. It was not, I did plan to take more in, but circumstances, people taking my gel and me not practicing enough ended up really, yeah, really running low on glycogen by the end of that marathon. And, but you know, it also sparked that, yeah, okay, if I could run 241 in my first marathon, what could I do if I actually fueled right and trained right? Because mm. I did not train for that marathon like a marathoner. I was still doing only 10K training. Yeah, you're still doing your 10,000 meter training. No, I was <laughs> mean, not even, as like I said, I, I had a very short track. I would say I was doing more cross country. 
um, style training um, throughout my junior years. I was doing a lot of barefoot running on the grass and like I said, tempo style workouts. But uh, in terms of that time, I was basically focused on 10K uh, to 15K on the road with the odd 21K in there. But my longest track workout before that marathon was eight times one kilometer. Sure. Yeah, that, that, uh, that doesn't speak uh, for the <laughs> 235 that you were, you were on for. But uh, I mean, with, with that time, that hope and knowing that, you know, you, you didn't train correctly and nutrition certainly didn't go according to plan, that must have fueled the fire that burns within to this current day to, as you say, what, what am I capable of? over a marathon so you you took a, a, a quite quite a nice route what i feel like a lot of runners would want to do and and try dive right in head first go to kenya for a bit of time we wouldn't be able to bring you our making a runner podcast without the support of our valued sponsors this episode is proudly brought to you by on the move the four bros have been a big supporter of the work I do within the community and they always aim to bring you the finest quality sports, health and lifestyle products to help you achieve and maintain all your desired health and fitness objectives. One of these products I am personally a big fan of is On Running. This sports apparel brand offers Swiss excellence both in quality and performance and has enjoyed key international design and technology awards. Even though when it comes to running shoes, my advice to my clients is always to go on what makes them feel most comfortable, I can guarantee that whether you get yourself into a pair of on shoes for daily life, work or casual purposes, you will not regret it. Make sure to check them out at onthemovestore.com or simply pop into one of their stores in Durban, Joburg or Cape Town. This is a top tip from me to you. Yeah, so that was a big opportunity that came through my agent, Craig Frey, um, that knows the coach in Kenya that I went to, uh, Erica Meyer, who is also the coach of the current world record holder, Bridget Koskai. So yeah, at the end of 2019, I went all in. I stopped my personal training and my coaching. I packed my bags and I went to live at 3,200 meters above sea level in a small little township called Kipsat. When, when are we doing that? I don't know. We need, we need to get the contact. We need to get the contact details. <laughs> I, I I'm think ready. My bags are packed. Please. You do know it wasn't, uh, it's not as what you see on Instagram. Eh? There's, there's a lot more to it. And you maybe can, uh, can elaborate a little bit. It's definitely not what you see on <laughs> YouTube or Instagram. Uh, it's not E10. Um, it looks very glamorous to where I was staying. The home of champions. Yes, the home of champions. I was at it uh, for my birthday with, with Bridget. Um, I, I had Christmas with her and the next day we, we ran in it Um, and I, I've been there a couple of times, of course, for training, um, purposes. Sometimes we go a bit lower and then we go back up higher, but, um, where I was at, yeah, it was, it was like, I would say the f- it was like I was breathing through a straw the, f- the, first, the first time. Like just walking up a hill, you could feel your breathing was hard. Even like laying in bed at night, it felt uncomfortable. And I mean, at the time when you moved, Bridget had just run that time in Chicago, that 214, which still stands to this day as the, the world's world record for female marathoners in a mixed race. And I mean, that must have been quite surreal to be able to, to share the training with her. It was, absolutely. And, you know, she, she's an incredible athlete and I saw it firsthand. 
And I do really hope that she can make a comeback this year. She's been um, plagued with injuries um, ever since I went to that camp. She was struggling with, with some sort of injury every time. So I really hope sh- she can, she can, can get back comeback. to that, that type of times this year. So tell us a little bit about the life in Kenya and, I mean, how those athletes train. What were the sort of things that stood out for you as an individual coming from a third world country, which is South Africa, with your first world experience in the USA, but going into Kenya, into a desolate town, which, um, I mean, there must have been a bit of a culture shock to what you thought you were going to get. Yeah, it, it was actually not that bad. I actually felt more at place in Kenya than I did in the US. The motto of our camp is struggle and suffer for success. And to me, that felt more like more... Um, well, it resonates with you. Yeah, yeah it you. felt more yeah. familiar than what I experienced in America because that's what I've been doing my whole life. And I also think that's why I thrived up there. They told me I'm the Mzungu, which is a white person. Um, <laughs> that Mzungu. 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 Yeah. Mzungu and Zulu. It's a Mzungu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they told me I'm the Mzungu that lasted the longest. Nobody's ever come back like I did. I was in total, I was probably just over six months of time that I spent there back and forth between the pandemic. The first time I went, I was gearing up to race the Vienna City Marathon in 2020. I was entered in that elite field and that was going to be my, my build-up in Kenya for three months. I came back to South Africa in um, February 2020 to race two shorter distance races as part of my prep and just maybe get a bit of um, stuff to take back up again. But I got food poisoning right before I got back. Uh, our power went off for three days and the chicken I had went off. And so I flew back to South Africa really sick and I dropped out after like, I think two kilometers in that race and I was in hospital for a full week after that. Because I wanted to ask, I mean, obviously managing your condition in Kenya must have been a whole different challenge. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was very, very tough. Uh, my coach got me this little bar fridge. There's no fridge in that in that township there's no kitchen i cooked all my food on a little gas stove i washed all my clothes by hand um and this is something really special about bridget uh the first time i went there um i think it was my second day or so i got back and i had put my clothes in the bucket and i came around and like i went to fetch something and when i got back bridget was busy washing my clothes (laughs) and i'm i'm sitting there kind of like starstruck the world record holder is busy washing my clothes (laughs) uh not believing what i'm seeing but that just shows about the humility of the people and how kind they are and how accepting they were and they really became i I still text with them every week um i'm actually busy learning swahili so i can communicate better i did learn a little when i was there kadoko <laughs> but it's it's a difficult language and I am struggling but um I try because I do hope to go back. It sounds like you love it. I ac- I absolutely love it. I mean if you book my ticket today I'll be back tomorrow but the reason I have not been able to go back is due to finances but more due to my medical condition. It was 
genuinely really tough managing it up there because of my I need to get my have enough medication and if I have symptoms the one time that I did get sick I actually went to Elliot Kipchoge's doctor he was treating me and it was drawing blood and testing but it is very challenging mm. and, and and especially with the new diagnosis and my condition is progressive it kind of got worse over the years there was times where it was better than it was and then it kind of progressed and now I think I'm actually at a stage where I'm the best I've been in a while because I've learned so much I can manage I'm managing it better but I would not be able to do that without the medical team around me yeah for sure yeah I mean it must have been an incredible experience to throw yourself into and as you said learn from from the world's best and also learn how your body see how your body would react to this tough situation because i mean we're talking again about training stress but now you also got the stress of the environment this the harsh environment that altitude i mean that is that is serious serious altitude that you're living in never mind training in and i mean we were just talking off air when we first met about the style of training and the difficulty of the training can you give us a little bit of insight and around that yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we didn't even always just stay at that altitude. Sometimes we went even higher. We would do these one-way long runs where you would start at 3,000 meters and run back up to 3,500 meters. Or the coach would wake up as up in the – actually, I would have to do it. Um, I always was the one who rang the bell in the morning. Um, and we would get up at 2, and we would all get on the, the truck and drive down to 2,000 meters and then we would do this 38k long run where you run back up to camp at 3000 and it took us 2 hours to drive down so that just shows you the technicality of what we had to run back up and you gain more elevation than you do in comrades in that run sure <laughs> it is really it is brutal i will tell you even the kenyans fear it the the day before, um, they would walk down to this bazaar shop and they would come back with packets of rye, um, of sugar. And I would just ask them, what are you guys doing? And they're like, kaba load. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to do it. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah, the Kenyans love their sugar tea. So the average Kenyan drinks around 10 cups of sugar tea a day. Jeepers. So. But I mean, how do you even plan for that? Because you were saying some of the time, like you don't know what session you're going into half the time. I mean, you as someone that, you know, coaches individuals, likes to plan a life, needs to plan a life from a supplemental perspective. How how do those guys just rock up in the morning and do a 30K run without any expectation of going on that 30K run? That one, that 38K, the coach will actually tell them the day before because it's such a big one. It's uh, like, go buy sugar. that's where <laughs> coach stands with his little book and he writes down the times. And, you know, that specific run, the first time I got there, it took me just over three hours to complete. And by the time I got back, Prison and them, they're already in the shower, okay? That's how bad it was. And then the last time I did that one, yeah. I actually felt like I belong. I actually... Yeah, you proved yourself. I've actually proved myself. I started finishing with them in long runs. I was no longer just the last one to get back to camp. So, yeah, but the training, the, start, the type of style training we did in Kenya is still what I build my own coaching philosophy on as well. A lot of speed endurance workout. Good, the long run is definitely, it's a workout. It's part of, like, you have to treat it as a workout as part of your training week because it's a big stress on the body. Yeah. Um, and 
in Kenya, I'm not saying this is what all runners should be doing, but in Kenya, the long run is not slowly. It is not LSD. It is very much a glorified tempo run. That's, that's <laughs> what I want to do. Though. That's what I keep pushing Nick over here. I'm like, come on, let's do like the Kenyans do. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I don't think it is suitable for every runner to do that type. And you can't also do it for every long run. You have to um, kind of coach Eric, for example, he was very good at um, seeing, we also didn't follow like a fixed seven day schedule. The schedule was rolling. It was when you're recovered from when he feels it's, we're ready to go for the next session. We're going for the next session. And if that means we're doing a, a workout on a Sunday, that means we're doing a workout on a Sunday. It means we're doing a long run on a Thursday or whenever that's when it's mm. happening. Because remember, that's the full-time job. The only, the big thing is to... Recovery, yeah. Yeah, to run, eat, sleep, recover, do it all again. True. So I want to ask, what would have... I know you're saying it's sort of like a rolling week and you're not following a seven-day schedule, but just as an example for the listeners to wrap their mind around, what would someone like Bridget over a seven-day a seven period, for example, do as part of, you know, in the morning on a month, they do this on a Tuesday afternoon, this like just a little bit of an idea. Yeah, so or easy runs is always like one ten or one twenty um in minutes. Yeah. That's the easy runs between the two harder workouts typically and then a long run. Okay. And then you have your easy afternoon runs which are typically ten K. Um every day. Not every day, not on long run days, and typically on Sundays that a lot of the athletes just you just have off. So if full rest day. Yeah, full rest day. Often Sunday would be a rest day. So like, what's the mileage over that period? It varies. It varies quite a lot, and the top Kenyans will tell. Always, if you ask a Kenyan how much he's running, he'll say two twenty. Mm-hmm. They they have no idea. <laughs> Most of them don't even wear GPS watches. Um, <laughs> they. But it, it, I have, I mean, no, it's like, yeah, so it varies quite a lot uh, from week to week. And because it's a rolling schedule, it's also tough to say, say a long run does not fall in that seven day period, the week might be a little bit less. Yeah. But yeah, I will tell you a lot of the times the guys are going over 200 kilometers a week. And I think mileage is extreme. My coach always said mileage matters. You like, if you, you can't run marathon if you don't have mileage your legs won't be able to handle that last 10 kilometer. And a lot of the long runs we did at the earlier stages would be up at 3,000 meters where we're often going off-road and we're going on some really technical trails even. And then towards the closer, like latter stages of getting towards your marathon, we would drive down to 2,000 meter and try to run a bit faster. And the routes are a bit flatter as well in E10 or Kapsat, Kaptagat. So being in Durban at the moment, you must feel like you are just inhaling so much oxygen now, eh? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I've been back for quite a while. Um, I came back in March uh, 2021. Sadly, throughout the pandemic, I went through um, seven marathon buildups without getting to run the actual marathon at the end due to race cancellations and postponements. Um, There was a little time trial in there and 2020 so after that Vienna like I said I the borders got shut and when COVID hit and I quickly had to flee out of out of Kenya and come back to South Africa and just like everybody else I was in lockdown uh doing some treadmill runs and 
eventually we had the curfew, like the window where we could go exercise outside. And at the end of that year, Cape Town staged an elite version of the Cape Town Marathon where the race was um, kind of virtually run over three different locations in the country. Uh, there was one in Cape Town, I believe, and in Porch. And I think the third one was in Durban, actually. I'm, I'm not sure. I can't remember correctly, but there was three locations. And I ended up winning overall with my time. And also I, I won the Cape Town leg. But it was very much a solo time trial without a bike, without a pacer. And I was, I was actually busy with marathon training when I was doing it. I was not tapered for it. Uh, the organizers only asked me like two weeks or three weeks before. And I was preparing for another marathon that ended up getting canceled in December. So I did manage to run a 233 on that day on that solo 5K loop, which more than half of it was actually cobblestone, which was terrible. My my calves and feet really felt it after that one. Um, but yeah, that is my official marathon personal best. And that's also got me on the um, Tokyo squad for 2020, 2021. It ended up being with the COVID pandemic. But I didn't have the official qualifier yet. So I kept chasing and I went back to Kenya at the end of 2020 with the hopes to run a marathon early um, 2021. That marathon got canceled the week of the race. I remember still doing, my ticket was already booked, and I remember still doing like a, my last workout, getting home and seeing my phone flooded with messages. Sorry, Annie, this is not happening. Oh, Annie, it's just another yeah. setback in the whole yeah. story. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> can, I, can I just go on, you know? It will come out in the wash. It will come, it will come. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry if you're listening to this. Um, at the moment, I can't give you a happy story, but it's not done yet. I, well, far from it. I'm very, I'm very much still writing this story, and um, I, I, I feel like I'm trying to be more open and honest about both the good and the bad, um, and share the whole journey because everybody has something they're struggling with. Yeah. You know? We all have some sort of adversity or obstacle we over, have to overcome. And I don't want people to actually look at my story and think like uh, what I have to go through is so much worse than somebody what somebody else has to go through because your pain and your hurt or whatever you go, it's, it, it's hard for you. Mm. It's all uh, relative. Yeah. yeah. You can't judge anybody until you've walked a day in their shoes. But I mean, there's some things in your story that you just can't script, you know, like slipping <laughs> on a on a water sachet before the start of a race, putting you off for even longer, you know, a pickup truck hitting dogs, you. Dogs, trucks. Dogs. <laughs> there, there's a whole bunch there, you know. But yeah. uh, to, to sort of round off the conversation, I just want to get on to where you're at right now. Obviously, we know that you, you're training for marathon and you're focusing around that and wanting to improve that 233, but you're also a coach, a nutrition specialist. So, I mean, you must have learned so much from Eric and and you as an athlete with your experiences, does that, do you feel that has helped you a lot in the way that you coach individuals? Yeah, you know, actually I've been fortunate enough to have uh, numerous of world-class coaches. My very first coach was Johan Furi, which was uh, one of South Africa's uh, premier milers back in the day. 
and then I was coached by Harry Kutsia for a little bit uh, when I was a junior until I started with Benny Stander, which was my junior coach up until I left to the States for about two, three years. Um, and then after I returned from the States, I was coaching myself. But uh, in the States, I had Bo- at Boise State, I didn't really... Was I wasn't really coached by Corey Emmels because I was out that whole year I was there. But at, at Coastal, I was very fortunate to be coached by Zola Bud. Um, and of course, um, I, I don't think I have to explain who she is. The majority mm. of South Africa definitely knows about Zola. So, and then, like I said, going to Kenya and being coached by Coach Eric. So I feel like I've had all these great coaches and I've kind of taken the best and what I've learned from them and kind of, Um, formed my own coaching philosophy and I'm also I'm a student of the sport I absolutely love the sport I follow the sport I read coaching books I listen to coaching and running podcasts I listen to interviews with other athletes and I'm really 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 passionate about the sport Um, I think that's the one thing that last year when I couldn't run at all I I, I held on to that because nobody can ever take that away from me. Nobody can ever take my love and my passion away from me for the sport. That's that's how you feel, hey Nick. That's exactly how I feel. But I I want to ask Annie, like for you, obviously having developed your own philosophy, what would you say are sort of your non-negotiables when it comes to your own personal philosophy? Communication. Cool. Yeah, you yeah, you massive. can't have a good um, coach athlete relationship if you're not communicating. The yeah, this is like a couple's session for me and Nick. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell me how you feel about Communicate it. Communicate with me, Nicholas. Yeah, I know, Davey. Um, um, you, you need to tell me a little bit more about how you, how you feel from... About uh, my goals and ambitions. <laughs> we'll take this offline. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so communication is one of them. Is yeah. there anything else that you would say non-negotiable? Nutrition. Yeah, nutrition is definitely non-negotiable. Um, uh, I... I completed my master's in sport nutrition last year. I guess we never really got to that story of my first <laughs> marathon and why, like after that. So I did certification in um, sport nutrition, but I kind of wanted to delve deeper into that field. And that's, I took the opportunity last year when I couldn't run to complete my master's and really, really learned so much and that I can now apply um, to my own career and also the, the athletes I coach and other nutrition clients that come to me for help um, because it is massive. It's, mm. it's massive in terms of recovery. It's massive in terms of your performance on the day. It's massive in terms of your health and longevity in the sport. And um, also suffering from celiac disease, I haven't had it easy with my nutrition. Uh, I had to kind of figure out what works for me and my sensitive gut. Must be so much more difficult for you. Like I'm just thinking how difficult it is for me, like on this carb load and all of that. But I mean, for you, with your sensitivities, I mean, what do you eat? Just just for out of curiosity, if you're going into a carb load and I mean, can you take you know, normal gels and stuff like that? Yes, I'm, I'm sponsored by Powerbar um, and their products work wonderfully for me. It's really... I've had not had any GI upset while while using it, so really um, That's love a testament the to their product. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I really love it. And the carb drinks, 
they have works really well for me is the ISO active and the ISO max. And I take a combination of that during my marathon, because like I said, the, or the, what I've been practicing, the one that I hope to race. Yeah. So that works really helpful for me because it's key to avoid dehydration. Um, but in terms of fueling day to day, you know, I eat very much the same type of foods most people would eat. Um, a lot of rice. I eat pasta. I just use the gluten-free variety. Um, I struggle with lactose as well. So I just drink lactose-free milk instead and eat lactose-free yogurt. You don't have to eliminate those products if you can't eat them. You just sure. use the other variety. And a lot of products that are high in carbs are naturally gluten-free. Like I said, rice, uh, sweet potato. I use gluten-free bread, gluten-free bagels I get. I bake my own muffins, um, sure, yeah, yeah. fruits you and vegetables, um, meat, <laughs> eat eggs. I also want to just quickly um, go back. So you said that Tim Noakes diagnosed you. Yeah. At one point, right? Um, but you obviously don't follow a Tim Noakes. Oh, definitely not. Okay. So definitely did, did not. Tim at any point try and... What well, was <laughs> extremely interesting with Tim Noakes, um, Tim Noakes actually said to me, you know, with your medical condition and your body composition, I would actually advise you to push the upper limits of carbs. And that came out of his own mouth. Must have felt like yeah, swear words you know, coming yeah, out of his know, mouth. It's, I don't think, I don't believe he is advocating it for everybody. And I don't think he's advocating it for performance. Um, I'm not going to open that can of worms, <laughs> yeah. but I think that's at least what he said to me. And, you know, I don't believe in following a low carb approach and I don't believe in faster training. Um, I very much believe in fueling for the work required, making sure your body is well fueled before you start that session fueling throughout if appropriate if it's a long duration session or you're doing intensity work and then coming back and putting nutrients back in your body as soon as possible yeah. so you can recharge and do it all over again i love it uh, that uh <laughs> that is pretty much sums up the whole uh, nutrition conversation that we actually had on on the total sports episode so guys obviously we haven't gotten in much into nutrition today but do go listen to that episode because annie does share quite a lot of extensive information and detailed information there and i mean if you do have any questions for annie she is active on socials she does have her own website maybe you can just direct people there for us annie Yes, um, so my personal handle is Annie Boffma. I also have a Facebook page, also just Annie Boffma page. Uh, my website's very simple, annieboffma.com. Uh, my business is Annie's Athletes. So if you type in that, uh, you'll pop up to my Instagram or anniesathletes.org is my business blog where I share some nutrition tips and knowledge and also some running knowledge. Um, yeah, that's yeah. about it. Now, I think, guys, please do go check that out. Go give Annie a follow. Um, she's extremely insightful, extremely learned individual. Like, everything about Annie is research-based. She's going to give you exactly what the research says. And I think, you know, that's one of the best ways to go about tackling these types of topics that are sort of, that do have blurred lines. But if, if I can say anything about Annie is, you know, she's learned to adapt doesn't matter what life has thrown at her, the difficulties that she's had along the way, she's always managed to to spin a positive outlook on them and has managed to stay motivated to through the words of others that have told her she can't do it. So honestly, I feel like your story is, is an incredible story. 
I don't think it's over yet. You've, you've got plenty to give still. And we, we're very excited to see we're, where, we're watching very closely. where Annie goes to next. Uh, but we just thank you for being on the podcast with us. And I'm sure it won't be the last time that you're on here with us today. Uh, but we wish you all the best for the upcoming goals. And we look forward to, to sharing more with our followers as to how you go about them. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.